Hello and welcome to The Canon, the show where every single week we get together and discuss whether certain movies belong in the canon of great films to live on forever. Uh, sometimes we argue, sometimes we fight, sometimes we harmoniously agree. My name is Devin Faraci of BirthMoviesDeath.com and I am joined as always by my co-host... Amy Nicholson of the LA Weekly. Uh, and this week we have a head-to-head versus episode. Uh, we are pitting college comedies uh, against each other. Um, uh, but first, before we do that... We have old business. What are our grades from last semester? Last semester, All About Eve got an A+. It is so hardcore in the canon. I think it's more hardcore than anything we've had except for... Oh, and I just blanked on the name of like an all-time favorite Christmas classic. It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah, I feel like All About Eve, I haven't checked today, but it looked like it was at 100%. Yeah. So, we're so not, sometimes we, we record alts of this just to see which way the voting goes, but we're not even going to record an alt. This I mean, is going to be just straight ahead. There's a chance that the episode could somehow find its way to like a nest of theater critics who hate this movie for <laughs> personal reasons. But I don't – having been a theater critic, I can say that there's not that many left in America to I think even adjust the vote that much. Yeah, so I think we feel pretty confident saying this is a yes and this is our probably one of our most uh, rapturous yeses. And we got a lot of uh, great comments. A lot of people weighed in. I was really excited. Sometimes when you do a movie that's a little bit older, I get worried that you know we're limiting um, the discussion and the audience. But that was not the case with All About Eve. Yeah, and I get worried about it too because – one of the tough things about picking out films for this podcast is we want to pick out stuff that's worthy of the canon. And then there, you'd pick out things like All About Eve, which are a slam dunk. And it's good to see that even when it is a slam dunk, people can still jump in, chime in with really great comments about why that film definitely makes it in and that the conversation doesn't totally die just because it isn't controversial. We have pretty cool listeners, it turns out. Thank you guys for being so excellent. And I'm just saying that right now to butter you up because this is a versus episode, so I need you to vote my way. Um, we are going to be pitting uh, two uh, comedy college classics head-to-head, uh, Animal House – and Revenge of the Nerds. Uh, I'm going to start with Animal House. Uh, Animal House is the uh, full, full, full name, uh, National Lampoon's Animal House. Uh, and it is the classic comedy that I think in a lot of ways defined uh, the college comedy period. Um, sort of the frat comedy. All of it comes from here. And there are elements of this movie that I think have infected the popular culture in a profound way profound way. So uh, now the background of National Lampoon's Animal House is that a lot of the stories in here are based on the memories of one of the screenwriters, Chris Miller, who was also a writer for the National Lampoon magazine. And he would do these short stories about really, really dumb stuff he saw happen when he was in college. And they decided to maybe spin that into an, to a movie. But before they did that, one of the ideas they came up with when they wanted to do the first real National Lampoon's official movie was a script called Laser Orgy Girls. Have you heard about this? I, I have heard about it. I've never seen the script, but I've heard about it. Okay. Laser Orgy Girls. This was written by Harold Ramis and Douglas Kenny. And Douglas Kenny, you might know as also one of the founders of National Lampoon, has a tiny cameo in here as Stork. Stork, the guy who everybody thought was uh, brain damaged when he first joined the fret. Right. No, no. Do you know what Laser Orgy Girls is about? I don't remember. Uh, it's about Charles Manson in high school. <laughs> <laughs> what a great idea. <laughs> It is. I think the script was supposed to begin with a zoom into a prison and then Charles Manson smiling beatifically into the sunshine through the bars and then a musical number. That's great. And that would have been pretty early too. That's like that's like probably 10 years after the Manson murders. This isn't even yeah, like, like – if you made a Manson yeah. movie today, it's sort of like, well, that's so long ago. That was sort of like of the moment. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. I, I think it was like – yeah, it was Manson in a straight jacket in this padded cell and he's got the swastika on his forehead still. And he looks at the camera and he goes, is it hot in here or am I crazy? <laughs> uh, so that got pretty quickly rejected. 
which is sort of a shame. So, But the original script that they did for Animal House was equally crazy, and it is, in fact, a tiny bit toned down for this. But, yeah, on to what you were saying. Well, I think this is a movie that has, in a lot of ways, established what we expect from the college experience, period. Everything from toga parties to food fights to uh, little wacky raids and stuff like that. The, the, the characters themselves have become archetypes that we all uh, look for in our college experience. And every single college movie that has come afterwards has been influenced by this. But is even any- even more than that is what? Is this a lot like your college experience? No, I – well, I my college experience is very similar to Animal House because much like uh, Blue Dobletarsky, I also got a 0.0 GPA and I also was kicked out of college. So in my second <laughs> semester of freshman year, I had a 0.0 GPA and they kicked me out of SUNY However, Albany. However, you are not yet a senator, although you do have a lovely girlfriend. I'm not, I'm not a senator. Uh, I, uh, uh, but, you know, this uh, my I'm still young. Um so, uh, but also more than that, this is a movie that I feel like has been really influential in the snobs versus slobs uh, genre. And snob versus slobs is one of the great genres of comedy going back throughout time. Yeah, all uh, the way back to things like um, the Three Stooges picking on like the Grand Dams. The and- Marx Brothers. And it goes back even further than that. It goes back into all kinds of things where some kind of stuffy society figure, uh, you know, like in a uh, in a vaudeville show would get, you know, would get humiliated. I mean, they, and this is a basic, real basic stuff. This is what people like seeing that. But Animal House really recontextualized, Animal House and Meatballs were the two films that recontextualized snobs versus slobs, I think for the next 40 years. Um, I think that it wasn't until American Pie that some of this stuff changed. And then Judd Apatow's movie sort of brought it back in a, a, a little bit. But, uh, you know, for me, you Animal House... It slobs versus themselves. Yeah, well, it is, but uh, sort of. Uh, although... F- f- uh, it's slobs versus themselves. It's always like, I'm a slob. My friends are slobs. Can I be slightly more than a slob? It's Knocked Up has got a little bit of a slobs versus snobs thing going on a little bit. 100%. But it's on that. It, but, yeah, it's, it's, on, it's on a continuum. But, uh, you know, Animal House is such, a, such a, a vital movie. But more than that, Animal House is a movie that... I think has impacted our, our, our way, a way of speaking about college, our way of speaking about having fun. And it's a movie that as a launch pad for talent is among, I think, the most unprecedented uh, works of the last few decades. I mean, this is a movie, this is like the defining John Belushi role. Um, John Belushi didn't get to make that many movies, uh, but this is perhaps the defining role. Yeah, saying the defining John Belushi role is kind of is tricky. But this is the image of John Belushi that when you, when you say to somebody John Belushi, they automatically think of him in his college sweatshirt. I mean, and that's what that, that's what that's what pops in people's heads. I kind of think of him with a samurai sword in Saturday Night Live. I mean that also, but I don't think that's a, remotely as pop culturally present as I mean, like you you could walk into a college dorm today and find that poster of Bluto with the college sweatshirt yeah. hanging in a dorm right now. Yeah, it'll be right next to a poster of Goodfellas and between that and Scarface. Exactly. I mean, this is this is the stuff that has permeated the culture. I'm not necessarily saying that like all like the best dudes are into it, but I'm just saying that it, it is what it is. Um, you know, this is a movie I think that uh, uh, Thomas Hulse uh, did some of his great early work here. Uh, this is a movie that uh, jo- I think this is Kevin Bacon's first movie. Or did this was before Friday. The th- no, this is after Friday the 13th. I'm trying to think now. Uh, no, I think. Seventy-eight. So Friday 78. the 13th was uh, – we're looking this up now. I should know this off the top of my head, but it's embarrassing. I mean this was – I think the, the biggest star in Animal House when Animal House came out was actually Donald Sutherland. Donald Sutherland, who 1980. So this is, this is actually I think one of his first – it's not his first role. Donald Sutherland – any movie that's Donald Sutherland in it, by the way, is a, a, a great, great movie. Well, this movie wouldn't have gotten made if Donald Sutherland wasn't in it because they were looking at this script for this crazy thing called Animal House. A movie like this really hadn't been made. Before, where it was just so outrageous, so full of fucks and yelling and boobs. And um, 
the president of the studio was like, well, you got a name in there. You got Donald Sutherland. So, okay, we'll do it. But we're not going <laughs> to give you much money. And Donald Sutherland was like, this movie's really stupid, but for two days of work, fine, no big deal. And they're like, hey, we can give you a cut of the profits. And he's like, just give me some flat cash up front. And what so, a mistake that was. This yeah, is one of the most profitable movies ever made. Yeah, they've calculated that Donald Sutherland lost about $15 million. Uh, Karen Allen is very early in her career here, one of her first movies. Um, even Tom, uh, even uh, even Tim Matheson, who had appeared in movies before, this is one of his first leading roles. I mean, these are and these are these are great talents, uh, you know, all, all with I think really interesting careers to come before them. Yeah, Karen Allen is one of my favorite actresses. Uh, Karen Allen is amazing in this movie uh, in a lot of ways, but also this. I mean, she's movie, got kind of a stock character. She's the girlfriend who's like, "Hey, stop partying so much. Partying is stupid." But something about her is really real, even though I don't like that character. That there's much. a lot of here's what it is so there's a thing that I'm, when we get into the head-to-head part I want to talk about this more but there's a level every female character in this movie has sexual agency and Karen Allen's character has sexual agency and that she's able to go off and sleep with the professor uh, and when she comes back to Boone it's not that he, he was betrayed or she's evil or she's a slut uh, it's a thing where they can get back together and it's all right she did a thing he understands because he knows that he's an immature jerk Although apparently in the post postscript she winds up divorcing him after a couple of years. They did divorce. That's yeah. They, but that's I think that's that's that, that's part of what's great is because you can see her come back to him and go, why would she come back to this jerk? And then the movie answers you, oh, it's okay. They get divorced anyway. It's uh, like she's going to marry Donald Sutherland. <laughs> uh, but it's not like she has to marry anybody. It's 1978. He, but also, you know what? It's uh, well, it's 1962 technically. Oh, true. It is a it is a period piece. That's true actually, because uh, Harold Ramis, when he did the first draft of trying to make this more college e, trying to like adjust it from the Manson story, he wanted to really make this a story about the change that he saw in 1962 and about the Kennedy assassination and everything building up to that. He actually imbued a lot of this with that, and they took a ton, a ton of that out. But I think it's still there. I think one of the things that's really interesting about watching this movie head-to-head with, and I watched this in Revenge of the Nerds back-to-back last night, was this is a movie that is very explicitly – there's, this is a movie that's about rejecting the system that you're part of. This is a movie that's specifically set in an Ivy League college. These are white male privileged most, – the most privileged people in the world and they are rejecting everything around them. Uh, and they refuse to be part of the system, a system that they hate, a system that is defined as the system that gets us into Vietnam, a system that is defined as keeping down black people. Uh, and they – you know, Not they, that they're necessarily much better. No, but that's, that, that's, that's part of what's great about it. They're, these are characters who are rejecting everything they are but at the same time they're also total assholes. Um, the movie's really aware of what jerks and losers these guys are. Uh, and it's also, but it's also really aware and part of the joke at the end is that no matter what jerks and losers these guys are, they're still going to run the world. That's part of the joke of the end of the movie. Uh, you know, when, when, when Bluto goes off to become a senator, that is that, that's the joke. Like, you can be this much of a fuck-up as an Ivy League guy, and guess what? You still get to run the world. Uh, and I think that's really terrific and subversive. Um, that's one of the things I love about this movie. I love its anarchic sense of rejecting everything about the world. Um, in Revenge of the Nerds, these are guys that want to become part of the system. In Animal House, these are guys that all they want to do is destroy the parade. That is their entire thing at the end, is just ruin it for everybody. I love that. Also, it's super fucking funny. Beginning to end, this is a movie full of amazing and great jokes. And because I think John Landis is, and, and Howard Ramos are both so good, this is a movie that gets right up on the edge of being super fucking mean and is able to really straddle that line in a pretty amazing way. I think any other movie, the whole Fawn Leibovitz scene, would have been unbelievable. Terribly cruel, and I think in this movie it is one of the highlights. It is a, a totally hilarious sequence uh, that I think really works. I don't know. I think this movie might be a little bit too mean. 
Okay, because if we're going to jump ahead to, to the ending of the film, you know, the film ends with that postscript, like Bluto becoming a senator. And what it does to the two, quote-unquote, bad guys in this film, to, um, to Greg Marmalade and to Niedermeyer, is, like, Niedermeyer gets murdered in Vietnam. He gets fragged by his own troops. I mean, that's amazing. He's yeah. exactly the kind of guy who's a piece of shit who deserves to die in Vietnam. And Greg gets raped. In prison because he was part of the Nixon administration. That's incredible. Is that not really mean? No, I don't think that one I of, think that's really mean. So I, you're, I pro, the, you're pro Nixon and you think that Watergate was a thing that should have happened and that the bombing of Cambodia was all right. All these things are right. That rape was too big a uh, – Oh, so, so you're pro-rape and, and you're pro-people dying in a senseless war? I think but being killed by their own troops, uh, that's justice. That's, That's justice. Niedermeyer deserved that. And Greg Marmalade deserved that. Okay. Both I, these guys I think in talking that. about this movie, we're really going to get to know something about each other's personalities because I find that a little bit too sour and I don't believe that it's totally But they're justice. super bad guys. They're super duper bad guys. They're not like rape me, murder me bad guys. Uh, Niedermeyer literally tries to kill Flounder at the end of the movie. He puts live ammunition in his rifle and shoots at Flounder. He literally tries to murder him. He misses. <laughs> So he's he's terrible at what he does. That makes him even worse. I mean, he misses from such close range. How can you say he really tried to hit him? <laughs> I mean, he misses from like that, that's like me throwing a pen it's at fi- you. It's fine. It's five feet. I get it. But at the same time, he definitely Niedermeyer is a murderous little prick, and 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 Marmalade is a conniving little prick who would go on to run the country into the ground. I mean, this is this is part of the beauty, beautiful satire of this movie is that these are the guys who destroy America. But then they get destroyed before they can. So how does America wind up getting destroyed anyways? Because there's always more of these guys. There's so many of these guys. The I, this is this false I, this fake Ivy League college is pumping these guys out, and there's a bunch of real Ivy League college pumping these guys out. What I love about this movie is that the thing that you said before about it being based on real experiences that comes through. There's such a sense of detail and reality to even the most ridiculous stuff in this movie that it feels like it happened to people. I love that. I mean, that really uh, I think comes through. I mean. I went to college, like, for the full time and lived on a dorm. So this is, this is like, slightly different to me. But, I mean, some of the stuff that Chris Miller actually wrote about as true biography stuff and left out is, is almost more shocking. It's, like, stuff that they would have had to wait until American Pie comes out. There's a scene in one of his short stories where the night before he leaves for college, he's lying in his bed and he's masturbating. And he's, like, kind of like, all right, here, my life starts tomorrow. And he's feeling pretty good about himself. And then all of a sudden, the load that he blew, that he didn't know where it went, falls from the ceiling onto his head. I feel like that's actually happened in a movie since then. I feel like that actually occurred. Didn't There's definitely an American yeah. Pie 2, somebody blows a load in Stifler's beer. Uh, oh, yeah, I remember that. And something like that happens in the last one, too, right? I mean, Stifler's always drinking people's semen. Yeah, I think there's a lot of semen in those movies. Um, I mean, obviously, there's something about Mary. Uh, there's the load hanging off of Ben Stiller's ear. No, uh, here's the thing. This is also part of it. National Lampoon as a as a comedic powerhouse, we cannot underestimate uh, the, the, the doors that they blew off the culture in terms of gross-out comedy, in terms of really going edgy, in terms of really going hard in the counterculture. Um, they're, just, they're just incredible. I mean, there's like, I, you know, I grew up reading National Lampoon and I grew up collecting old issues and 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 you know uh, book collections and stuff like that and some of their stuff is so over the fucking top so crazy um, uh, but um, often mean-spirited, but really always coming from a place, I think, of righteous anger. That's what I like about Hal Ramis is that he was coming from a place of righteous anger. This is a movie that is 
got lovable characters. It's got uh, sort of goofball business in it. But it's it's got an undercurrent of anger at a system that is unfair and shitty. And I think Harold always had that. And I think that's what's really great about him. See, I, th- I agree with you about the magazine. I disagree with you about the movie. I mean, National Lampoon, as a magazine, had its high point, like what, in the early 70s, like 73 to 75 or something. It was like when it was really at its It was peak. this, yeah, the 70s. And it had stuff. Yeah, so that's three years before this came out. But it had things to really take target on. It was like deliberately, more aggressively taking target on like, I think my it was life. Good at, I think it was good on the 80s. Two in the Reagan years. I really, I really do. It came back a little bit, but like all the management had already quit by then. All of, the, all of these guys had quit uh, National Lampoon before this film came out. Yeah, I mean, it, National Lampoon was always sort of fed by the college crowd in a big right. way, but which is like that energy after, and anger comes from that, you know? But it's going after real targets. I don't know when it is rewatching Animal House, the targets they're going after don't seem to be that worthy. You know they don't they don't seem to deserve all the bile that gets It's literally in the House. entire system and that under that, that that is in place in the United States of America. Yeah, but these guys aren't really doing that much to them. They're just sort of existing, having their own fret, and they just don't really like them, and they go after them. Like it, it's not the target is much bigger and softer and not as worthwhile as what the magazine was going after. And I have to no, but really Delta House is not going after anybody because they get fucked with first. The movie's really structured, structured really well in that uh, Dean Wormer wants them off campus from the beginning. The movie opens with already uh, Delta House has got to go. Right, and then but he it's wants a them off campus because of stuff they've done. Because they're just, they're just, because they're just fuck-ups, and they're funny, and they're fun. They they it, exist outside of their prude culture. Yeah, this is this is it's a real Marx Brothers thing. It's like these are characters that that affront common decency, but they didn't, the, the, the stuff that the stuff that he talks about uh, Dean Wormer why they have to go. None of it's offensive. Every summer, every every spring, the toilets explode. You know, which means they're dropping cherry bombs in this. A big deal. Like you know, they're, they're not crazy. It isn't until the end of the film when they build the death mobile that they really go over the top, and they've been I think at that point been pushed. Right. I just don't find these characters quite as lovable as you do. You know, when, when I watch the Delta House go at it with each other, I see them backstabbing each other. I feel like I see, uh, you know. Backstabbing each other? Yeah. I see, like, Otter trying to steal Flounder's girlfriend at parties. That's just Otter, man. You can't let Otter meet your girlfriend. He is not the main character. So, There's a couple of main characters. I mean, I think Boone is more the central character. He has an emotional journey. He's a character that's sort of about confronting his immaturity. Otter has no journey at all. Otter, uh, Boone Otter, doesn't Otter really is the most, confront is, his immaturity. Boone's girlfriend just accepts his immaturity. He is confronted by it over the course of the film. And There's it, almost no difference between Boone and Otter is kind of the thing. Um, no, Otter is, Otter is really super slick and a ladies' man. Um, and Boone is... Very super slick and loud and immature and has a girlfriend. I mean, that's kind of the main difference is that Boone has a girlfriend and Otter doesn't. I think what's really interesting is that Boone is identifiably Jewish, uh, which in 1962 was a pretty big deal. Um, uh, Otter is much more of a wasp. Which is something the film doesn't really get into. But I think there's – I don't think it has to. I think that there's there's, there's, there's iconography that's happening in there. That could just be a trick of casting. Um, but uh, I think Otter, you know, I mean, none of these characters necessarily really change and grow um, in profound ways. I think that that's all right. I think it's about them being confronted with the system and destroying the system. Um, well, I mean, the movie starts with like Pinto and Flounder being the two main characters. They're trying to get into a frat. They're the, well, they're the they're the POV characters. Exactly. What's and, and, and what's interesting about it is that is um, Flounder actually got ca- cast, and this is a true story. Flounder got cast in Animal House because he was a pizza delivery man, and he was of the habit of taping his headshot inside a pizza delivery box to anybody <laughs> he delivered a pizza to. And so he happened to deliver a pizza. I think it was to Harold Ramis. And Harold Ramis opened it up, and he was like, oh, that's Flounder. There he is. <laughs> I mean, I think those, you know, Flounder's uh, arc, Flounder and Pinto, the characters who actually have arcs for real in the movie, I think Boone has an emotional story. 
that is interesting and that I like. And right. I like I like the movie undercuts it at the end with the divorce. I think it's really good. I think it's making fun of itself. Uh, Pinto's story is getting laid. It's a, just a very standard coming of age story. He exists uh, and he gets laid. That's his story. But it's a very it's it's a very, it's a standard coming of age story that's subverted by being gross. And then uh, Flounder's story is about loosening up and just dealing with the fact that his brother's car gets wrecked and just fucking going with it. And that's what it's. I mean, these are not these are not profound. He doesn't really get to do with it. They just sort of do it to him. I mean, what I find weird about this movie is like really watching it closely a lot of stuff happens that kind of disappears you know there's the scene where flounder shows up at a party with a hot girlfriend and you're like oh he has a hot girlfriend it's the one that you know um that otter maybe tries to steal but doesn't actually we don't really see him steal it or anything like that and then the girlfriend never exists again so there's this weird moment where you're like oh wow flounder might be a cool guy he might have something we don't know about it about him that's magical and that actually doesn't go anywhere. That just vanishes. I'm very fascinated by your deep dive on the characters of Animal House uh, when I know that you're going to well, be, when you're about to be uh, on the side of Revenge of the Nerds, a movie that has actually got no characters in it that's at all. That's so That is so fascinating untrue. to me. This is really that's fascinating. That's 100% untrue. Uh, so, you know, I, I disagree. I think these are lovable characters. These guys are fuck-ups. I think that they, they don't care. It's uh, This movie and Meatballs both are a part of a very specific moment of late 70s anger and ennui. Uh, Meatballs has... Uh, Bill Murray saying, uh, I think, the, the line that makes a difference, that ties these two together, which is, it just doesn't matter. That's the chant that he leads his campers in. And I think it's very similar here. It doesn't matter. That is the big speech that Otter gives. Who gives a shit? Like, we're out. We, it's, everything's fucked up. Right. Let's this just have a good time with it. This situation requires a really stupid and futile guest. <laughs> it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. See, here's the thing. I don't know why you have to drill the point home that these characters are lovable. Because I don't they, think, I think they're they lovable are. I think, at I think all. most people love these characters. I think they're incredibly sour. I think they're sour. And I don't mind that they're sour. But I think I wish you would admit that they're really sour. But I think that's part of the love. But they are they are they are they are nihilistic, anarchic uh, jerks who the movie knows are jerks, and that's part of what I like about it too. The movie's fully aware these characters are jerks. It and the scene when they go and they see Otis Day and the Knights uh, in, at the club is one of the great moments of this, which is like the idea when they show up and Boone's like, this guy loves us. And then they're totally confronted by how how lame and stupid they are and how unwelcome they are. Um, it's just so beautiful. And the movie's aware of it. The movie's totally aware these are a bunch of fucking lame ass rich white kids that are like that are like tourists in black culture for a minute and they think it makes them cool. And then the movie has the the movie then goes you are not fucking cool uh it's so cool it's it, it's so neat i love it it's it, funny. it is aware that they are not like hero hero characters but i think the movie still kind of takes it for granted that we empathize with them and that these are the heroes and i think it does it a little bit too much i think it does it to its own detriment it just sort of has these people burst into the room and be like you're gonna love these guys and i don't think it does anything to make us really love them which is why i almost wish it made them made us hate them more because that would at least be a choice i just couldn't, i think this film takes a lot for granted from the audience i couldn't disagree more this movie feels like being at a party i put it on last night and i thought i was going to skip through i've seen this movie so many times yeah. this movie, i've seen this movie on the big screen a bunch of times it's a great theater experience it's a really wonderful experience to watch this with a, with a full crowd um i thought i was just going to skip through it and I, I watched every scene of the movie uh because it's like being at a party with these guys it, it's so much fun when D-Day shows up and, and plays the song on his throat it's perfect uh, you know every character's introduction is so you just talk about the, the beautiful storytelling and in, in, in character introduction every character in their introduction is perfectly encapsulated you know exactly who everybody is there's not a single moment where these characters are, 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 are ill-defined uh, they are except for the fact that like Otter and Boone are kind of the same person 
I disagree. I think Otter and Boone. I think I think that Boone is much smarter and has much more going on than Otter does. Otter is a totally the fact that Otter ends up not just as a gynecologist but as a gynecologist in Beverly Hills is because he's a surface level nobody who cares about nothing but getting laid. Well, because that's his dream and he pursues it and he achieves it, which is the same thing. But but he has there's not a dream. All all he wants he's a, he's a shallow existential person who exists on a most shallow level. In Boone, uh, imaginable. Is really, wait 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 wait. Boone, Otter, sits, Boone sits around and gets stoned with the professor and talks about like the meaning of life and stuff. I mean, that's obviously that's obviously more Pinto because the joke here because is because it's more Pinto. Well, because, because the joke because here is that this is the, for anything to try to separate Boone and Otter because they're treated as a unit. But Otter would never go get stoned with, with, with the Absolutely. professor. Absolutely, he no, would he if would there never. was weed involved. He would never. He would do anything if there was I'm, weed involved. I, I, does, 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 does Otter smoke weed at all in this movie? Probably. I don't remember him ever smoking weed. I mean, it just sort of feels I feel like, like it's Otter, assumed that everybody I don't think Otter weed. even like drinks beer. I feel like he only drinks liquor. I feel like he's like some kind of like 1960s smooth guy. Like he, you know what I mean? Like he's- Wait, he, you're really he, grasping at straws here. No, 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 no. The difference between the two of them is that Otter drinks liquor and never beer. No, I just, I think is it's- Is he the most so, interesting man in the I world? I think it's so clear that, that Boone is, is, is much more, I mean, they're just, they're, they're, they're I mean, you can see why they're friends, but I think they're different. I can tell you how Boone would react to a situation in a different way than Otter would. I mean, I just feel like it's very clear. I, I think you're really stretching. I think part of why you like this movie, and I'm going to psychoanalyze you here, oh, is God, because you you are basically Bluto. I am not Bluto. You, you're very Bluto. You're very Bluto-esque. <laughs> I mean, do you know how hard it is to get a 0.0 grade point average? Which is also one of the weird things about the film is that, yes, they cheated on a test, but like that everybody in this frat has a really bad grade average, including people like Pinto, who seems like he's trying to do good in the world and can smoke pot with a professor. It's uh, just like one of those moments you're like, no, you're not really thinking about this through. I don't think that I'm a particularly dumb guy. I got a 0.0 GPA in my second semester. I got a 2.0 in my first semester. Ooh, a 2.0. Uh, yeah, that was my that was my high point. Was my 2.0 semester. So I don't. I, I find it very easy to believe that you go to college and fuck around, even if you're a smart kid. Uh, just don't show up for tests. Uh, have no idea what you're doing. Don't study. Never come to class. Have literally no clue what's going on around you. Um, I do like that the movie at least um, folds in college as opposed to Revenge of the Nerds, which. I don't even know. It could take place like in a space military barracks for all the relation I mean, to college. I mean, there's really only has. like one college classroom scene in this, and then they take a test. There's a, but there's a professor. There's the idea that there's a tests are happening. Uh, there's a, a relationship with the uh, with the um, uh, the administration that that, that takes place. Uh, I think it's I, th- I think it's all I think it's all great. I don't know. I mean, if we're going to talk about like screwing up in college, I lived on the dorm floor of screwing up in college. Because I don't know if you know this about me, but like I went to a state school because I had no money for actual college. And this one state school gave everybody who had um, a certain score in the SAT a free scholarship. It was this national merit thing. And everybody who accepted that offer and who was out of state and who lived in the dorm floor were people like me who had such bad grades we couldn't get scholarships anywhere else. We were just people who were good test takers but actually couldn't do any homework. So what was amazing about my freshman year of college is I was living on this dorm floor. It was co-ed. And everybody on this floor was had my same scholarship and everybody was a screw-up. And we're all just sort of there in college being too bright but too lazy to do Literally anything Literally nobody who's a good test taker is a screw-up. I mean that's like the epitome of just like skating by in life. That's like – that's well, not yeah. a screw-up at My all. My mom taught the SAT. A so I was just like – Prepped from beginning. Look, but let's I, I let's be frank. Third. I had a 0.0 GPA. That's you a screw have to up. work to that's, get a zero. Like, that's was, almost dedication. It was a busy semester. Let For me you say. to get a 0.0 means you were trying because you thought it was a funny story. No, I wasn't trying. I, I was actually shocked. That. You know what's really funny is that the um, the dean of undergrads or fresh the dean of freshmen was the guy that was teaching my what was the class? It was a lit class. Uh, 
it was a lit class. Anyway, he was teaching it. I actually went to that class and I participated, and um, he gave me a zero in it. Uh, and I think because he saw my other scores, he wanted me the fuck out of school, um, even though I participated and I was in class. Because that's the thing that I don't believe about this story is you are such a good bullshitter. That I can't believe that any teacher would just all they would all decide to give you a zero. I just think I just didn't and they show wouldn't up see a stuff. potential in me. I, didn't like show up I met stuff. a young Farachi. But yeah, you have to. You would have to have met me. I would have to have shown up to class. It's like D Day. D Day has an incomplete because he just doesn't go to any classes. What were you doing instead? Uh, I was doing. Uh, I was doing drugs. Um, I was on the early version of the internet. Uh, this was 1992, so it was a Vax system in Albany, New York. I was playing. I was up all night playing uh, video games on the internet, uh, multi-user dungeons, and uh, chatting with people from all across the globe, and then hanging out and doing a lot of drugs. Um, so I was high in a computer room uh, in the basement of SUNY Albany campus. That makes you sound like Booker from Revenge of the Nerds. Uh, but I don't think I. So you know, I want to go back to Belushi for a second. And then, and then we can. I think Belushi is a really good place to pivot over to Revenge of the Nerds because um, what's really interesting with Belushi in this movie is that you nobody else could have played this role. This is a role that um, uh, Bluto is. He's a cartoon character. Um, he's kind of a monster. Um, but the thing about Belushi is that he's sweet and he's able to make that work. And there's this there's this there's this line that's the character he's playing is basically um, it's it, it's basically. Uh, it's basically Harpo Marx. That's what he. That's what he's basically playing. And Harpo Marx. If you were to just take anybody else and do what Harpo Marx does, Harpo Marx is a monster. He chases women. He picks them up and takes them into other rooms to do God only knows what. He's a lust-filled maniac uh, who's always getting in people's faces and is being actually very cruel all the time. Um, but there's a sweetness about Harpo Marx that that allows you to that allows you to take it. Even though when you analyze what he's actually doing, you're like, this is all terrible. This guy's a piece of shit. And it's the same thing with Bluto. There's a sweetness to uh, to Belushi in this role that when he is in the scene where he is peeping in the windows, uh, there's, a, there's a couple of things that make this scene sort of acceptable because um, it's tough because it's, you know, it's, it's not acceptable. One of which is the, the level of absurdity as he's hopping the ladder from window to window. That's part of it. Part of it is the wide-eyed childlike wonder that he has while, while watching these ladies un undress. And then the other part is the fact that he does that fall back. But it's that wild-eyed wonder when he, instead of turning, when he turns and looks at the camera, instead of turning and looking at the camera and giving this sort of like creepy thing, it's sort of like, whoa. And there's such a difference. And it's, it's a, a tonal difference that Belushi really can get. And Landis has talked about this a bunch, that no other person could have played that role. That role would not work. D-Day was supposed to be Dan Aykroyd. Um, and you could, but you could, anybody could do that. That was fine. But nobody yeah, and Chevy else. Chase was supposed to be in this, but he turned it down because he thought it was too much of an It was ensemble. supposed to be Otter, right? It was, yeah. It was, yeah. I mean, Otter is such a Chevy Chase character. But again, anybody could do it. I think, I think, and I think that Matheson, I think Matheson fucking kills it in this movie, by the way. Um, his, Wait, his line delivery is great. But, I, I have two points to, to what you're saying before we get too far off path. One, they actually did have a backup for John Belushi because they weren't totally sure he would do right. it, and it was Meatloaf. But it wouldn't have been the same. It could have Belushi been. had to fly in every single weekend from SNL uh, and to do this, or, and every single week from SNL to do this, which is like unbelievable the amount of dedication that goes into doing a, a dumb slob comedy like this. And he really put everything he had well, into yeah, it. Well, yeah, it was his first real major movie role. Um, but yeah, so they had a backup and it was Meatloaf. And two, the scene that you're referencing where they check out the naked sorority girls, he looks at the camera with child-eyed wonder. That gets a callback in Revenge of the Nerds, that scene that you like so much. I know. And they do it by having it be an actual wide-eyed child. I agree. Uh, well, this is the thing is that – so this is why I want to transition to Revenge of the Nerds because yeah. the Revenge of the Nerds doesn't exist without 
without uh, without Animal House. Uh, and I think that this this difference between sweet and sour is what's going to be the key to this this next part of this argument. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, it's Revenge of the Nerds. We are back. Uh, so here's the thing. So now it's your turn to uh, nominate Revenge of the Nerds, uh, a movie that wouldn't exist if Animal House didn't exist. So go ahead. All right. So Revenge of the Nerds came out in 1984. This is the story about a team of guys who all show up at college, get kicked out of their dorm by the jocks, are forced to live in the school gym, and then are told they might not be able to live in the school gym once basketball starts. So they find a house, try to create a frat so that they can get some sort of say in the system after their house gets um, vandalized a bit by the alpha betas, and then decides that the system has no room for them and figures out how to topple the system and then figures out that that doesn't even work and they have to do it more directly. Um, so this film came out six years after Animal House and in a weird callback actually to when what we were talking about when we were talking about the two-lane blacktop um, uh, version where I was like really worried that people wouldn't be able to see it before we watch this. I had a really hard time finding Revenge it's, of the Nerds. It's not streaming anywhere. Um, it's not streaming it's because anywhere. people have really started taking pro-rape movies off the internet is sort of the thing. Oh, really? Yeah. That's funny because – like. We're talking about Animal House, which has a scene where a guy almost sleeps with a 13-year-old. But he doesn't. And that's we actually don't really, know if he doesn't, no, actually. He, no, wait, wait, no, we really wait, don't know in the football field or when she passes out. We know he doesn't when she passes out. But they great, actually have to have a debate about it because he considers it. Right, which is, but that's a, great, that's a great depiction of the idea of consent and the idea that a lot of guys might be confronted with this and might have really bad impulses. And then the movie shows, no, you don't, you don't do it. The and angel then, doesn't even have that many strong imp- impulses. I know. He's just a good guy. And then he finds out that she's 13 afterwards. I mean, and besides, Animal House is a movie that literally ends with Bluto winning a girl because he swung down and just picked her up and kidnapped her and drove away with her screaming. But he doesn't fuck her into submission like in like in We Revenge don't know the, the movie. No, we 100% ends. don't because she's she's happy as they're driving out of town. No, she's screaming no, as she's they're not. driving no, out of town. No, We're they, seeing her legs kick no, and when she's they, screaming. Well, no, the next shot when they say Senator Mrs. Blutarski, she's with him and she's happy. Well, they, they have they have down the road. They Maybe have, he banged her in between the two. He did not rape her. There's just no cinematic language to indicate that he raped her as opposed to the depicted on screen rape in Revenge of the Nerds, but go ahead. Okay, I will go ahead. But anyways, you cannot find this movie anywhere is what I realized. Like, it's not seen streaming. It. Everybody's seen it, though. That's the thing. Yeah, but to rewatch it, I had to, like, it, it's not, it doesn't exist in any of the libraries in Los Angeles. This is a movie from 1984. This movie is not it's even It's a very famous old. movie, too. Yeah, it's a, it doesn't exist in, the, in any libraries. I found it at a video store after calling five video stores. I went to that video store. I, I brought it up to the checkout desk, and they're like, oh, we're closing in a month. You can't really rent this. Video you can journeys? Just, video journeys. Yeah. You can just buy it. So now I have bought the only copy of Revenge of the Nerds that I think exists if you haven't seen it in Los Angeles. You know what's funny is that Unless you, you drive all the way to the west, to the west side, to all, the beach. All the sequels are available to stream. Nerds in Paradise is available to stream. Every, everything's available to stream. Uh, this one is just off the radar in a pretty profound way. In a pretty way. profound way. And I find that really kind of troubling. Oh, I, 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 I do not. <laughs> just because you don't like the movie doesn't mean it's not troubling. When a major movie comes out, that's a big part of our, a big part of our references and our jokes, and you can't see it anywhere. That's kind of scary. And the reason it's not streaming anywhere else is just because um, I think Cinemax or somebody like bought the rights to streaming it, so you can only stream it if you're like a member of their channel. But that's this idea that like one thing can come along and shut down any way to see this movie now. So that really scares me. That's and if anybody called the entire history of it, cinema. Once upon a time, you could only see a movie when it's playing in theaters. That's just how it works, man. Yeah, well, it's you happening again. You have this whole idea that everything extension. needs to be available right now. But once upon a time, you wanted to see Revenge of you – know, if you wanted to see Revenge of the Nerds, you had to hope that you could rent it because you couldn't buy movies back in 1984. Uh, yes, you could. Do you know how much a VHS tape costs? It costs cost a lot, but you could buy them. 
I mean, you technically could. You could technically buy a movie theater and then buy a printer but you movie could also and show it all the time rent it. in 1955. You could also go rent it. If you were lucky, if you lived in a town that had that. Yeah, well, now we are in the second biggest city in America and you can't rent it. It doesn't well, matter where you're living. So I just want, I just want to say that I find that really I'm pro troubling. the erasure of this movie. <laughs> Wow. You're like, screw the dodo bird. Oh, cool. That one jaguar went extinct this week. Awesome. I hope that this movie and that fucking white rhino both disappear off the face of the earth forever. You're a horrible person. <laughs> so, sorry. I don't actually wish any movie to disappear, um, even if they're as hateful as this one. Go ahead. I don't see where you get that this movie is hateful. All right. So, um... Revenge of the Nerds. I watched this right after I watched Animal House as well. I like this movie so much. This is a movie that I've watched over and over again since the time I was a kid. Here's what I like about it. Um, I'm going to start by comparing it a little bit to Animal House. Okay. It, Which is good because it's a ripoff of Animal House. So It's a better version of Animal House. <clears throat> I think that Revenge of the Nerds... This Can is we my, just end oh, the podcast and let people vote? No. Like that, that's, 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 a per, that's a perfect ending. No, I'm going to defend this point because I'm very serious about it. I think that Revenge of the Nerds is a movie that picks up six years after Animal House and is, is almost kind of like a sequel. Because if you look at what's going on in Animal House with who the Deltas are and how the Deltas act, the Deltas have basically become the alphas of Revenge of the Nerds. The way that the Deltas act in their house, the drunkenness, the fire breathing, the screaming, the crazy antics is just the alphas. So it's just like the same frat, different name. Same behavior, different name. So now it's like the oppressors of Animal House have become the oppressors of this. That's crazy because the Delta House is anarchy. There is no... There's no social order within it, and they are not there to oppress anybody. No. They're not jocks uh, at all. They're not. They're, jocks are a system of people who are in a regimented society with leadership. Uh, John Goodman is their dad, and they, uh, they, they, they have dominance. Delta doesn't want dominance. Delta just wants to be left alone to fuck around. It's, it's so different. Well, the alphas so want to be different. left alone to you know, rule their own frat house like they want and to live like they want. And if they don't get to live like they want, they destroy things, which no, is exactly what the alphas, the alphas do here. When the they alphas, don't get to keep their house, they destroy the, the freshman dorms. It's, they, it's, whatever, it's winning at, at whatever cost. It's specified at the very beginning of this movie that when the nerds – who, by the way, don't even know they're nerds, which is unfucking believable These fucking geeks have Some no idea they're, they're nerds. nerds. No, Lewis and whatever his name is don't know what they're fucking nerds. Lewis knows he's a nerd and he's so been a Change it. Gilbert is not sure he's so a nerd. they go show up on campus and Ogre's like nerds and they, they're really angry that they're there. Yeah, it, it, by Alpha, the way, Alpha how much does Ogre just look? He looks like Bluto anyway. He looks like he's forty-seven years old. Um, but uh, he he immediately hates nerds for existing. Uh, the Delta House just wants to be left alone. Uh, who hates the Delta House? Or the, the version of of, of, of what, what is it? And I forget the name of the bad guy house in, in, in Animal House. But Wormer and the Bad Guy House hate Delta House for existing. It's the exact same thing. Delta House is Lambda Lambda Lambda. No, no, no. Not even close. Not even Actually, close. They're fun. But even 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 in at, even in Revenge of the Nerds, they eventually have a fucking fucked up party where they all get laid and stuff. So it's all the same shit anyway. Not really. Here's the difference. I mean, Revenge of the Nerds is about discrimination. Whereas Animal House is about destruction. I want you to go back to an oh, early scene in Animal House. Oh, I agree. This, is the, this House. is the most troubling part of Revenge of the Nerds, is the idea that white men can be discriminated against. That's the entire premise of the Not just white men, movie. Japanese men, black men who are also gay men. Many people are discriminated right, against in Revenge of the Nerds. This movie compares white men to, to gay black men and Japanese no, people and saying inclusive. they are all experiencing discrimination. I want you to this go back to, the, I want you to, go back to an early thing in, that you see in Animal House when Pinto and Flounder show up at, at the 
at the frat house, and they're like, oh, let's blend in and meet. Right, and they like, get sent and over to, they like, keep the, sent over to the nerd corner. To the nerd corner that's full of Asians and a seat guy and stuff exactly. like that. Exactly. Right. Those are the guys who would be joined into the frat in Revenge of the Nerds. In, Al- in Animal House, they're just sort of dumped. Revenge of the Nerds is about the frat that accepts those guys, too, on the couch that are used only as a punchline. They're treated like nerds in Animal House. Revenge of the Nerds embraces that whole thing. It's a really inclusive movie. And I think this is the movie with the sweetness of characters that, that we're talking about. If sweetness is so important to you, since you keep referring to it, yeah, even though yeah, I don't think good. it really exists. That's good. So the let's sweetness get to the sweetness here. of Booger. Let's see how Booger, ripoff rip of, of, of Bluto, is, is as sweet, half as sweet as Belushi. Booger is really sweet, actually, because Booger takes other characters under his arm. The characters in Revenge of the Nerds care about each other within the fret. The people of Delta don't give a shit about each other. You know, we've already talked about that. They they could care less if like how everybody else is. Revenge of the Nerds, you see them really team up. You see like a partnership and like a community within the fret. You see Booger hanging out with Takashi. You see him like getting him high and teaching him how to paint. You see them thinking about what the other people are good at, designing javelins that they know Lamar can do. You see them like having each other's backs, and that's something you do not have at all in Animal House. You don't have nearly the brotherhood that you do. In they Revenge all work of the Nerds. together to destroy the parade at the end. Everybody gets. Everybody works together to destroy the parade. It's Excuse not really me. destruction. It's Excuse just like me. a can bunch have, of. It's can like I a have ten thousand marbles? <laughs> it's a bunch of like Visigoths running into a village. It's a little different. <laughs> Revenge of the Nerds shows actual concern for each other, and it shows people learning. It shows what, you, what happens not just when a frat forms, but when a frat actually gets to know each other. Oh, so it's a pro frat movie. Yeah, it's a pro brotherhood movie. I mean, like, there's a real sweetness to Revenge of the Nerds that I like a lot. You know, like the the relationship between Lewis and Gilbert is really great. And that's what starts this off. And there's a very clear difference between Lewis and Gilbert that I don't think that is really interesting that you would say that because I, you were complaining about Boone and Otter. I literally couldn't tell these two characters apart except that one rapes a woman. That's the only difference I could tell between the two of them is that one commits uh, the act, actual act of rape. That's absolutely untrue. That one commits the act of rape? No, that they're that they're so similar. Lewis is the guy who has all this like ego, and that he, you know, swaggers in and wants to be cooler than he is. Um, and Gilbert is a guy who knows what he is, cares about himself, like cares about just making his world happy. He's the sweetheart. You know, what I find interesting about this is this is a movie about the people who are going to take over the world next. If Animal House is a movie about who's going, who's destroying the old guard, Revenge of the Nerds is the first glimpse we have of the people who are running the world now, of the nerds, of the computer programmers, of the Bill Gates who was in college when this movie came out. And they're out. all horrible people. Bill Gates gives billions of dollars of charity, literally billions Steve Jobs. of dollars piece of shit Steve Jobs to was. charity. He was a mean guy, but you can't say that about Bill Gates. I could say whatever I want about Bill Gates. Okay, you can be wrong uh, about I, it. I, I mean, mind, the Bill and Melinda mind. Gates Foundation is No, like, you're right. Silicon Valley is full of really good people. I think that that's a pretty great world, full of people who really care about the, uh, the, the their fellow man, who aren't a bunch of misogynistic, hideous assholes who have been defined by a life of, uh, of, of feeling marginalized, uh, who have not created like, – these aren't the guys who put like a Wi-Fi on homeless people at South by Southwest. Like that's not – these aren't these guys. These are these guys. These are the worst people. People no, and the movie doesn't like, know those it. Those are like millennials looking for like huge articles about them. That's a different generation. Revenge of the Nerds is about how the world is going to be, be taken over by nerds and how that might be a by really those good terrible people. thing. Yeah. They are not terrible people in this film. Lewis is such like okay. Lewis has his date rape scene. Lewis, I do think, is like the most un unjustifiable character in the film. But he is like an ideas person. He's a leader. He's a he is, director. He is like the guy. It's Lewis and Gilbert. Gilbert gives okay. Gilbert gives a speech that Gilbert gives a speech that Animal House makes fun of, and but the, the Revengers gives it for real and has Gilbert give it right. No, they have. Wait, yeah, Gilbert. Yeah, not yeah. Lewis. I thought you were talking about Lewis. No. So, but but so that's the difference is that I guess so. Gilbert is 
the otter of Revenge of the Nerds? No, because Gilbert is sincere. So he's the boon of Revenge of the Nerds? He's neither. He's the Gilbert of Revenge of the Nerds, which is that he's a sweet guy who has a loving girlfriend who's very supportive of everybody. What's and his wants people to get along. There's a reason why at the end of this film. What's his girlfriend's name? Uh, it's Judy. Well, that's pretty good. You have, yeah. you have written that? I also know that because I really like the name Judy. <laughs> Judy's sorry. a great name. Sorry, go ahead. Keep going. I'm going to get yelled at for this bit right here on, in the comments. Oh, God. What? What? What are you doing? I'm like probably man, mansplaining um, rape to you. Yeah, you probably will at some point in the next 15 minutes. I can't wait for this. This well, is going to be great. When we get to that point, I want everybody to know that it was Amy Nicholson who pointed this out to yeah, me a bunch I of years ago. I actually pointed this out to you, and you hadn't even noticed it, which no. I find really alarming. Well, I hadn't seen the movie in a long time. But it's cool I give you an ammunition to shoot down a movie I like. Um, okay. So I want to go within the house, because there are some characters in here that I think actually give John Belushi a run for his money in terms of silent physical comedy. Starting with my personal favorite, which is Timothy Busfield as Poindexter. Poindexter to me has all of you. You're saying that Booger is the Bluto? No, 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 no. It is definitely Poindexter. Poindexter has barely any lines, and he exists just as silent physical comedy. He has so many great moments in this, like when they're watching the video footage of the pies, and he looks down at his lap because he's getting a boner, and he just makes that tiny terrified scream. When they're sexually assaulting the women by watching them naked through cameras, they illegally set up in their home, um, and he becomes sexually aroused. Uh, which is different from Bluto staring through their windows. How? Well, this because is, they just have better technology because they're which smarter is that they and all they're sit, nerds. They all sit there together over and spend the entire night watching a woman sleeping, and they keep zooming in on her ass all night while she's sleep that's, that's so really hard. not that much different than at, you're, I see you straining for so an article no, different. also really. they, they then record this stuff and then and then distribute it to people which is like so different than like that's that's so oh keep going okay um I love the scene where Poindexter gets his hand oh, I in the blender. I love the scene where Poindexter can't get high and then all of a sudden starts cracking up. Like, he is such a fantastic physical comedian in this. I, I think mean, it's really important to, to really give the listeners an understanding of your comedy bona fides. What were your thoughts on A Million Ways to Die in the West? I really like that movie. You think it's really funny, don't I you? I think history will bear me out on this. Stephanie Zaharik, my counterpoint at The Village Voice. We both really like A Million Ways to Die in the West. Stephanie Zaharik, who definitely is the person that I go to for comedy opinions. Uh, you, guys, you guys have terrible taste in comedies. You have we, bad taste really? in comedies. You have bad taste in comedies. That is not true. What are, what are your favorite comedies? There's Something About Mary. That's reasonable. Um, well, I'm going to be on a podcast in a little bit where I have to argue about my favorite R-rated comedy. And the ones I put on the list were Blazing Saddles, The Jerk, and When Harry Met Sally. Those are all right. Those are reasonable. But the, the million ways to die in the West is indefensible. Are we, if we're going to go through each other's Rotten Tomatoes pages, there is a lot of embarrassing shit in your stuff. Oh, my. I have, I have a, a history of terrible opinions. But I just think that you are particularly on comedy. I think that the idea that you could find this Poindexter character to be great physical comedy, this is broad schlock. It's not – it's got no subtlety or, or oh, anything behind I'm it. I'm sorry. Timothy John Busfield. Belusi pretending that he has – Mashed potatoes in his mouth and he's a zit is subtle. No, Timothy Busfield is actually that's really part, delicate. That's in part this. of a whole great sequence. No, I I would like to actually know where people are like, well, you know who's an underrated physical comedian? Timothy Busfield from Thirty Something. Like, no, there's not a human being alive who's ever said that. John Belushi is one of the great physical comedians. I mean, that just is. It just well, is. We came of age when Timothy Busfield was known for Thirty Something. I think if Timothy Busfield had maybe died, we would be like, oh, he was really great at that one thing he did before he died. Literally, we don't I know want who- people to go back and watch Revenge of the Nerds and look at how good Timothy Busfield is in this. Nobody, in, nobody in Revenge of the Nerds came out the other side. Okay. Nobody. That's not true at all. I mean, if we're going to talk about people who got launched from this franchise, 
I have two words for you, John Goodman. He did not get launched from Revenge yeah. of the Nerds. Yeah, he actually I mean, did. I, I cannot say that Kevin Bacon. No, he ba- actually okay, did. This is John Goodman's first major role in anything. Where and he- James Cromwell, too. This is, this is the movie got him, babe. <laughs> but so, I mean, who has done more for the world? John Goodman or John Belushi? John Belushi. No. And that was not even, that's not not even, even a question. Close. That's not even close. Now you're just I love to, John they, Goodman, but it's not even close. No way, there, no way. John, the John Goodman is such a multi-talent who can do so many different types of things. He can do physical. He can do intimidating. He can do drama. He can do grunting. He can do silent, imposing presence. He, he can, can do, do loud love, mouth. I love John He can Goodman. do anything. I love John Goodman. I'm glad that John Goodman has had the last 30 years to have a rich and varied career. I, I would say that. Yeah. I would say that within the short time that John Belushi was with us, I think that he impacted the worlds of, 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 of comedy in a profound way that very few other people ever did. And I think we're just saying that, and I hate to say this out loud, but I think there's some truth in it. And I think if you really are interested in your heels in me, you'll agree. He gets to exist as a comedy legend because he didn't make that many mistakes because he didn't live long enough. To yeah, make everybody mistakes. should die young. I agree with that, one hundred percent. I think dying at, dying before you're thirty is probably one of the best things. I mean, look at how things. we feel about Chevy Chase right now. This is it's one of the best things that any performer of any sort can do is to die young, to do a couple of really good things and die young. Uh, it's you know, if Kurt Cobain had lived, um, we'd hate the shit out of him because he would have like become really irritating in the in the early two thousands, and he would have like totally like you know abandoned everything. But he gets to be preserved in amber as this guy. You know what I mean? Like. You know, if, if John Lennon had lived through the '80s, the Beatles would got back together at fucking Live Aid. It would have been a nightmare. Uh, so, but it's, it's sometimes it's good to die young. There's nothing wrong with that. That is all of history. As many of history's greatest, Alexander the Great, one of the best things he ever did, die young. Very smart move. Very Elvis. Elvis should have died ten years earlier, and everything about Elvis would have been. We would have looked at Elvis so totally differently. All right. Well, I don't want you to hold it against Revenge of the Nerds that John Goodman happened to live because we are all very lucky that he did. I'm not. I'm not. But John John Goodman, I just feel like his role is so minor in this movie. Like this is not even like – I actually forgot John Goodman was in this movie until I watched it. It's such a minor little nothing That's role. That's probably because you did too many drugs. It's not a minor role at all that he has in this film. Like John Goodman is the mouthpiece of a lot of mainly what the Revenge of the Nerds are fighting against. In the latter parts of the movie, we get to see that they're John Goodman – They're not fighting against anything. They're trying to take over things. That's, I think that's no, a really – No, they're trying to take over things so that they can fight against discrimination. Taking it over is the only way they can stop it. They're reaching out for a goal here, which is the thing I really like about this movie. And I they knew work, that's what you were going to like. Yeah. They have a goal, and then in Animal House, there is no goal. There is, well, it's, they a, have, it's a, no, it's a Not only do they have no, a goal, but goals. this is a movie where you get to see that the characters are so individualized. These characters are individualized. They aren't all different kinds of stereotypes. I will agree with that. And they all have different skills. They, they have, all have different skills. That one guy, and what I love he has a really good skill of being a Ching Chong Chinese guy. Uh, that is a racist caricature in this movie. Like beyond the, When they put him in the Native American outfit to do the gong, I was like, they are just checking off boxes now they're just literally checking off boxes like well we couldn't make fun of the red man uh, let's put the Japanese guy when he wins the race they have the Japanese version of Daisy playing over it oh my it's so racist it is so it is so grotesquely racist we haven't really talked about that scene in Animal House yet into depth where the guys are like oh the black guys stole our girlfriends the negroes the, ne- the negroes, negroes took stole- our girlfriends exactly it's I'll a just, great I'm scene. just gonna check that it's box a great scene. There. I will say that my senior thesis in undergrad was I wrote um, I wrote a research paper on portrayals of Asian characters in uh, 1980s cinema because I was actually really where does this guy go up against the donger in terms of horrific racial stereotypes in 80s movies. I think he's slightly better. But, I mean, he can't, th- what was happening in 1984 is that we had real fear that the Japanese economy was going to overtake the American economy. And so we had to take it out on them in our comedies by putting their men 
in our films and then emasculating them, showing that they weren't good with women or the women that they did get were just crazy that we wouldn't want in the first place and that they just didn't know anything. This was our way of expressing a lot of a lot of fears that the Japanese culture was going to overtake ours. I get it. And you know what? There's a cover of Superman where it says Superman slaps a Jap. And you know what? Like you can accept it in the contextual history of it's 1941. I get it. But at the same time, you can't be like, well, I think that Superman should in fact slap Japs because at the time we were uh, fighting World War II. Uh, it was funny. Not, not to like take this too far out of, out, of, out of the world. But I like went to Shakey's Pizza today with the girls from Tangerine, which uh -huh. is a movie everybody should see when it comes out. And um, she was saying that the director, that he was so unprepared to meet them. It was like being in Pearl Harbor and meeting the Japanese. <laughs> Except instead of saying the Japanese, she said the Chopinese. Like she said Chopanese. And then it, it took her like a couple seconds. She's like, Japanese, Japanese. But she literally said Chopanese. And that was did, adorable. Did, did we quit when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? Well, I think that the Animal House Deltas would have quit. I think they would have been like, "Screw this!" Given everybody the that's finger and run point. off. I'm, saying, I'm, I'm, I'm springing it back. I'm bringing it back. Revenge of the Nerds would have tried to do something about it. <sighs> I mean, this is a film that has a lot in there. They, they literally say they are here. You to You like goal-oriented right... cinema. You really do. I do. This is why you hated Tulane Blacktop. There was no goal. If they had finished the race, you would have been like, you know, I think like Cannonball Run. They say get to the end of the race. I admire films where the characters want a thing and get the thing and where the film knows the characters enough that it understands how they would even achieve it through rape um so you can just say that as many times as you want but it, that's not the entire point of the movie it actually is because here's the thing so here's so i'm going to speak from a real personal place yeah now. tell me about everything you've learned about rape since i pointed this out to you i'm going to speak from ago. a real personal place now about nerds yes yeah. Okay, nerds, tell me okay? everything you've learned, Devin. There's a scene at the end of this movie where Gilbert says, no one's going to be free until we stop. Is it discriminating against nerd or persecution? Until nerd persecution, persecution ends. And it's not played as a joke. It's not at all played as a joke. It's a ridiculous statement. It's not played as a joke. Um, it is a statement that he says in front of a black gay man. Um, oh, so somebody who actually knows persecution, you know what I'm saying? Like a guy who's who, actually getting persecuted and who he's teaming up with and who he's supporting by saying that. It's not like so he just happens to say it. He's speaking up here's for the thing. So, him as well. It's inclusive, Devin. Right, but the problem is that he's making – he's putting himself on the same level as a black gay man. He's saying, oh, I'm also persecuted. And it's like, you know, fuck you, Gilbert. Like, you know what? Like, you can – you know what Gilbert can do? Gilbert can leave college where they're going to – once they finish giving him wedgies, he can leave college and get a job and like do all Bill right. Like Bill Gates dropped Do out? you think yeah. that Lamar – what do you think Lamar in 1984, what do you think Lamar's general options Well, are? I'll tell you what I think about Lamar in 1984. I like that this is a film that had a black gay character right, but what are his and really options? leaned into that and didn't try to like make it a subtle thing, didn't try to be like, oh, maybe he's Jewish like you're saying about Animal House. They had him be a full-fledged character and they had all the characters learn to like not even learn to care about him. There's not even a moment where they're like, oh, we have to understand who you are. They just care. They just get him. It's a friend. No, they it's have a simple to, They thing. have to lean into it so they can do the limp-wristed joke. At the Olympics. They don't keep him around for one joke. Uh, they also keep him around to rap. <laughs> no, they but don't. Wait, no, here's, no, this they is not keep my, him this around. Is, he has a boyfriend he brings to the this party. This is my question. He's, this is my question. What? what is, we're talking about discrimination and, 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 and persecution. When college is over, whatever happens to these guys is tough. Do you think that Gilbert is persecuted in the world? Do you think, or do you think that Lamar? is persecuted in the world. Don't you think it's offensive to say that I, as a white man, know your struggle, black gay man, because also people sometimes are mean to me. He's that talking is unbelievable. about unity. 
He's talking about unity, no, and you're trying to make this divisive. It's not divisive. It's the idea that the, there is. You, there, it's, it's not about unity. It's, it's about he's trying to equalize his struggle. There is a thing going he's on today. He's not trying to equalize his struggle. He 100 percent is. He's saying nobody's going to be free. Nobody. That includes all the people in this country, including Black Gay Lamar. Nobody's going to be free until nerd persecution ends. The goal to get Lamar equal rights has to go through the end of nerd persecution. That nerd persecution in some way is tied up in this equal rights of Americans who are truly discriminated against. Because now, nerd in this movie is a blanket that covers everybody. It's called Revenge of the Nerds, and Lamar is one of those nerds. Well, there's a bullshit speech he gives it, at the end where he claims that, which is total fucking nonsense, and is like of the worst kind of garbage 1980s writing that, again, Animal House is making fun of. Uh, it's that garbage feel-good movie writing. They make fun of it with outer speech. But let me – I want to go really specifically. There is a hate movement online right now called Gamergate, and Gamergate has grown up out they of – They love you, don't they? They sure do. Gamer Gamergate is growing up out of a couple of things. And here's the thing is that Revenge of the Nerds is the urtext for Gamergate. Okay, because this is why you're hating it. You're hating it for personal 2014. No, I'm going to name it. I'm gonna, no, go ahead. I'm gonna, I'll give you 10, 10 different reasons I hate this movie. But this is one of the main ones is that this is a movie that is a about it's about the nice guys. Oh, I'm a nice guy. I'm doing. I why don't I get laid? Why do the girls mean to me? I'm gonna rape them. Uh, you know, it's that thing. Uh, but the, here's what Gamergate is. Gamergate is about a bunch of guys who feel like they're being persecuted for being white male nerds, and they feel like that somehow the persecution against them for being white male nerds is that women are playing video games and people are trying to put female characters into video games, and this in some way is persecuting them. And the cool kids are coming in and taking their safe space, which is what ha literally happens in this movie because this movie is a fantasy for uh, for put down white men um, and it's, it's 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 sickening to me but that's separate because you know what you cannot look at a movie through the prism of just politics you can't because you are a hunt you are very off base on this what we see in this movie is that these guys are literally being persecuted it's not in their head they're not being oversensitive they are made homeless because of who they are the freshmen are made homeless by who because of who yeah, they are they just is, which is our it's, character it's just freshmen and, the, they don't, and they these don't, they particular don't. people are made homeless because they're not allowed to get into a frat because no frats will accept them. But because they suck. They don't suck. They totally suck. Each one of these guys, by the way, sucks. No. That's also a part of it. Each one of these fucking guys sucks. That's a big part of it. Uh, all these characters, I think, stink. I don't think any of them are good. This movie is not funny. No. There's, there's, there are, this movie there are, is much funnier than Animal House. And that's the end of the episode. I laugh now, more at, at Revenge of the Nerds than I do at Animal House. And that is true. It is broad goon comedy. That it is, might as well, are you it, describing Animal House? No, because it might Animal as well House have a, is broad goon comedy. Revenge of the Nerds might as well have a, a, a laugh track coming up and an applause coming up because it is that kind of lowest common denominator. Really, it is an, it is an ugly movie on every level. It is ugly looking. Uh, Animal, uh, Revenge of the Nerds is an ugly looking movie. Animal House looks like a movie. It has an Elmer Bernstein score. Uh, Revenge of the Nerds has this shit since. Oh, score. I'm sorry. No, Revenge of the Nerds. Thomas actually... Newman's score is shit in this movie. No, it's not. It is shit. The song at the very end of this film, the violin song, is more memorable than anything in 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 Animal House, you except for the more, Otis Day song. You think it's more memorable than Louie Louie? You really think that, that? That's not a song written for that movie. Neither was the Otis Day song. Yeah, but Re Revenge of the Nerds has a soundtrack that wrote songs for it that are also they're all terrible. Absolutely no, nobody they're fucking not. knows these songs. That ending song is Animal really House. Great. Also, Animal House is a period piece, so of course it's going to have songs from the period in it, and they're all great songs. It's a great soundtrack. It was an enormously best-selling soundtrack. The Revenge of the Nerds does not have a best-selling soundtrack. It's trash. No, Revenge of the Nerds has a really good soundtrack. Actually, there are a lot of songs in this that I, th I think are fantastic. I really like '80s electronic music. So which to is me, which this is, is great. horrible. Um, it's not horrible. 
Uh, it was like the worst period of music in, in the history of, of mankind. Oh my God, 1984. Do you know how many amazing albums came out in 1984? No, great albums. None of them were 80s insane. electronic music. Now I know that you're just completely being. But like, also, off it's the it's not funny. It is it is broad goony humor. It is the kind of where characters stop, they make a joke, and they stop so that you dummies in the audience that, can really. When get does it. that happen? That doesn't happen. That happens again and again and again. This movie is not that well paced. That doesn't happen. This movie's not structured. You well. can't There's, give me one example of that happening because it's actually not true. Every, literally every single booger scene is is structured that way where booger will like steal steal money steal cards from the asian kid and there's like there's that little bit of extra space put in there for like this for like the laugh track to come up oh please that's not even true um, i mean this this movie has a lot of great moments of other types of comedy like, i the like thing. the one where there's a slow build where they put the liquid heat in the crotches of all of the fi- of all of the um football players and you watch them just try to stare down and try to keep it together and it just builds and it builds and it builds until they're all screaming and then you finally only have ogre left over and ogre can barely keep it together but he's trying so hard yeah this is like a scene that the simpsons like it's like a parody from the simpsons the simpsons so, predates this or is post is i'm saying but i'm saying that's but that's what it's like though i'm saying like it's like no. it's like if homer was watching a shitty movie on tv in the simpsons that would be a scene that's absolutely and he true. would he would go oh, oh, oh it's so funny uh, and that's what it's like it is it is it is it is moron humor you're just disagreeing to disagree you're that's not. not actually wrong. no i really hated watching this movie last night i mean part of it's ugly it's super ugly um but also it's 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 so mean-spirited um what do the girls do to deserve what happens to them? They're actually you actually you 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 really got really mad that Niedermeyer, who tried to murder a guy, died in the post credits. What do the girls do to uh, to deserve sexual assault? Uh, they've done a few things like to, to deserve sexual assault is a, is a high bar, but the but girls, that's the bar it, the movie no, sets. But, but but they do that also in Animal House, and in Animal House is even more undeserved. What the girls do here in Revenge of the Nerds, they actually are active in doing things. They are not in Animal House. In Revenge of the Nerds, Betty lies to them and tells them to go to the to um, the Alpha's house where they get like. Almost, pull up. they maybe had to rape a pig. They get tarred and feathered. They get tortured because Betty sent them over there and set them up. Well, that happens Betty to two also guys. Lies. That happens to two guys. Yeah, uh-huh. Betty also lies and says that they're going to come to their house and be dates. The entire actual sorority lies and says they're going to come to their dates just to ruin their party, just to sabotage them. Betty is also on the commission that <laughs> pretends like it's going to. You literally believe that telling a guy that you're going to go on a date with him and they're not doing it then opens you up to having somebody no, but they- distribute pictures of your naked body? I'm saying that the girls. In this, I'm saying that at least Revenge of the Nerds has the girls take an active role in giving punishment to the nerds. That it's that you can see that there's some sort of build in the. Okay, if we had this conversation, when we were talking about King Kong, even that in the times these movies were made, the way people thought of them was different. Right. We thought that this was more okay in the 80s. And we need to say that. I mean, there's a reason that you didn't even notice these things until I pointed them out. That it took you 25 years. Here's the thing. No, it took you like I agree. 30, I, look, 30 I, years. Basically. I agree, but that doesn't that doesn't that doesn't I'm make not, that doesn't make the what happens any more mean spirited when we look at it. There's there's a there is one female character in Revenge of the Nerds who gets anything horrible happening to her, and is that she gets her uh, clothes torn off and she's in the middle of the street. Um, that's the one character something har- horrible happened to her. She's the character who sets Otter up to get severely beaten. Um, she's the only character that has something really terrible happened to her. Um, the except female for the character. other characters who are like. You know, swooped up and picked up by Bluto, who are, who are also spied on, just like they yeah, are. Yeah, but here. she's that's that that's presented as a happy ending for her. She's not punished. That's presented as a happy ending. Whether or not you can agree or disagree, it, the movie within the language of the movie is a happy ending, and so it's different than this, where they are they are actually punished. Now, here's the thing: no. is that what happens in the in in the panty raid scene, or the you know, which is what's supposed to be a panty raid, but they put the cameras in. The level of evil on display here is profound. Uh, 
when they when that girl goes into the shower and opens it up and, and Lewis is standing there with his hood up, this is legitimate rapist symbolism. Like, I mean, like, this is not even like, this is like, it's kind of unreal to me that they made this movie and shot this scene and nobody was like, he looks like he's a rapist. Like, I mean, he's got a black hoodie all the way up and he's standing hiding in her shower. We didn't and then have he chases- hoodie culture back then in the 80s. He was just in dis- not, quote unquote. This is not hoodie culture. This is not black. This is about a guy. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about Unabomber stuff. We had hoodies, rapists, a guy with his hood up has been a thing that has existed as long as there have been hoods. No, back in the 80s, a guy who was a rapist is a guy who was in a trench coat, if we're talking about no, the way we did shorthand for the Also a rapist. No, a rapist is a guy with his hood up, his face hidden, that is, hiding in your fucking shower. That's a rapist. I don't think you can give me one proof of that actually being a thing. I can't imagine that a human being in history would look at a man dressed all in black with a hood up over his head, uh, obscuring his features, waiting for a naked woman in a shower and not say, this guy feels like he's okay. planning on when raping you her. Add the and then he, chase, and then he chases her into a, her fucking – no, I'm not saying if he's walking down the street, that's a rapist. I'm saying in the context where he's waiting in the shower for her, he's 100 percent a rapist. That's a rapist context. And then he then also rapes her. But that's <laughs> separate – that's separate from it within that moment. There's a level of mean-spiritedness of they are targeting this entire fraternity, the sorority, whose main thing was that they did not go to the party. Um, and then, then they are going to sit no, in there. And also got them tortured and also no, that one is girl not did. helping them. They're, be, they're, they're, they, they're punishing Some of them the, were sitting on, on the porch with her who also like has been keeping them down the whole time, who helped them put pigs in their in their party. Oh, my God. Pigs in the party. These well, are the let's things distribute that are in the these movie. girls' nude pictures. Okay, let's look at Animal House. You have Dean Warner's wife who – actually like sleeps with the guy is pretty nice to him they have a really great night together at the end she she's falls still, down she's still thrown into the air and like trampled in a chaotic she's scene. not trampled she's fine she falls down she ends up with the mayor's thumb up her ass she says you gonna take your thumb out of my oh, ass okay point? great okay but great. that's a fun that's, that's, that's no. but that's a that's, that's a Why joke is that because it's not, he's not actually violating her because he fell down like that. It's just a, it's just a joke. She's in control. She's on top and she, she yeah. says, are you going to take your thumb? She's well, a she character who has sexual agency. Absolutely nothing. No, she, she just falls down. She gets bulldozed down. Like the punishment that happens to all of the people in charge, to the mayor, to the dean, is exactly the same as what happens to her. She gets the same punishment as all of them. She falls down. Yeah. They get trampled but, and then she has something stuck up her ass. You can't say that that, that that's deserved. I cannot it's, – it's, it's not even remotely the same as distributing the naked images of these women that were taken without their consent. It's just – it's so profoundly different on such – on every level, especially in a movie that you say is about unity. Animal House is a movie that is about anarchy and it is about destruction. So you know what? If characters do go a little far, that is within the themes and the concepts of the movie. Revenge of the Nerds is going to be about sweetness and these sweet guys that are doing things that are literally profoundly illegal. Not just like a little illegal, but like we're talking about like sex offender illegal. I, I, a, I think you're digging into this because it's the only argument you have. No, because the movie. But B, we, it needs to be said. Even though we're not, I can't condone that. And even though I said to you that this was the one part of the movie that bothered me, in the context of when this came out, that wasn't that bad. I just, I can't. I just, it doesn't. I don't. I don't. I feel like. I feel like if you made a movie, you know. There's a, there's a difference between a movie that it goes too far and has sexism and then it's of the time. This is a movie that is is so ugly in it. I think that the characters that the movie – the main characters I think are bad people. I think that their reaction to being humiliated is to doubly over-humiliate these other people, to be really nasty, to try to take over the system uh, instead of getting rid of the system. If the movie ended with them just abolishing Greek culture, I would have been like, that's great. That, that makes sense. The problem is not these guys. The problem is an exclusionary Greek culture. 
The problem is a rape culture. But these guys, all they want to do, they want to run it. You are completely they changing all of the terms of what's I'm actually not changing happening the in this terms movie. What's happening and in they're the movie only running it so they can get justice. And this movie does not end with like Greek culture is the best, and we're all still about staying in our own groups. It ends with everybody from every group winding up into a big pack and saying we are all one. So it ends up in a totally is, phony left turn that has that is not motivated by plot or character. Because who that's are these, not true. No, these all, are all they wanted random, to do was to fit into campus culture from the very beginning. These are random. And then characters. they allowed campus culture to fit in with it with themselves. These are characters I've never seen in the whole movie show up at the end to go, this is the marching band. Who the fuck is the marching band? And like, we're, we're with you guys. Who the fuck are you? This is just bad storytelling. It is not the movie bad storytelling. The movie doesn't establish any other characters to join them. doesn't establish any characters in the middle. So at the end, all that it does is create these straw man characters to stand up and go, we agree with you, nerds. And it, it comes from nowhere. It means at nothing. At least it establishes characters on like Animal House where everybody's kind of the same, has no motivation, and their characters don't stay the same from any scene to scene. You're confusing and just sort of stereotypes and, and characters. Just because there's a all. guy who's, who's an Asian stereotype and a guy who's disgusting and a guy who's a hardcore nerd stereotype doesn't mean they're characters. They're stereotypes. There's no characters. They all Point Dexter is no character. Yeah, he is. Point Dexter grows. Being and a character is not having things happen to you. That's just being in, in a movie. I know that. Point Dexter learns to take the stage. He takes the violin on himself. Like Point Dexter really He's been playing actually, the violin the whole movie. He yeah, begins and now he plays violin. it for the group. Now he learns that what makes him different that he thought made him uncool can make him cool. Was there a scene where, because I remember him practicing the violin in front of everybody and just being bad at it. I don't remember a scene where he thought no, it was uncool. No, that's the girl with the accordion. And it, where no, was where did he think it was uncool? Where did he ever make a point out of being hit, embarrassed? He gets like hit while he's playing the violin. He gets like even soup splattered on him. Like he is considered an outcast. Right, but I'm saying, but we, and like he learns that one of the things he does, even though he's an outcast, can help make him respectable by the community and can help help him fit in. And if we also want to talk about female characters, the female characters in Revenge of the Nerds are actually a lot better. Not even just the pie house, but you have like Judy, who is Gilbert's girlfriend, who is not like the like unlike the Karen girlfriend, unlike um. Karen Allen playing Katie in Animal House, she's not just like, don't be in the fret. She's like, okay, this is what you need to do. Let me help. I'm by your side. I'll help entertain. I'll get my girls over. We'll team up. We'll do the whole We'll do the whole Greek competition at the end together. She's there by his side being just as great. She's absolutely doing it. You have the women who show up from her fraternity, or the sorority, the Omega Moos, who end up being incredibly fun. And even... Um, Booger learns that like girls who also look sort of nerdy can be kind of amazing as well, and they're dancing, and they're actually sexually active. They're pulling the guys upstairs. They're straddling Booger and telling uh, Lewis, like, hey, let's go do this already. These are not characters. These, none of these characters are real people. There are and more the characters thing, than anybody else. Here's the thing, else, is that everything these guys are doing have. is wrong, so the fact that Judy is on their side and helping is not good. Um, Katie is, is smart. Wrong. Katie's they're the only smart character in Animal House. Katie's the character in Animal House who goes, you guys are idiots. Yeah, they're and idiots, right. and she is right, These but guys she's are also idiots the too. nag character, and they need to not do what she says. Who gives a shit? Here's the thing. The entire premise of this movie is that these guys get a house, and they're happy in the house, and then the jocks are mean, and then the, the entire movie becomes a, a downward spiral of them trying to punish the jocks for being mean. No, it is, it's about The revenge is really vital in the title. No, they're not. They're no, trying they're to trying punish to them. They're trying to be equal. The movie is called Revenge of the Nerds. It is not called Equality of the Nerds. It is not called Freedom of the Nerds. It is called Revenge of the Nerds. It is a revenge story. It is a 100% revenge story. And the revenge story is predicated on a minor vandalism incident 
that then because they get upset about and they go to the Greek council and nothing can be done, instead of saying, you know, fuck those guys, we're going to have our own lives and be great, and which is what Delta House does. We're just going to do our own fucking thing. Fuck they don't all y'all. get to do their own fucking thing. Yeah, no, they immediately they, no, try to get into guys- the Greek society. They create a frat so that they can get the revenge on these guys. They want to punish these guys. They have to create a frat. Why? So that they can get any sort of spokesperson. Because this is a movie about people who don't get a voice in their own community. What is their community? Their there's home. no community. There's the no community there's, of their there's, there's no college in this movie. There's no classes. There's no professors. There's no idea of, of, of a larger community. There is uh, alpha betas, and then there's land to land to land. And that's all there is in this movie. There are no other – no other community. That's You have the dean. You have the football team. You have the alumni. The, who uh, the, the, the alpha betas are character. the football team. It's the exact same yeah, thing. And I like it's that literally the, dean, the exact same I thing. I like that the dean – Learns that like he can stand up for himself by following their role, like the, the yeah the guy who even runs has, a university the learns that he can stand up for himself. Oh, yeah, another saying, white guy learning. The, that he can, it's crazy. Just because he's white, come on. Oh. That even the dean has an arc here that that the characters in Animal House don't have. The dean starts off evil in Animal House and stays evil, and that's it. Well, he's evil. Yeah. Then, but nothing. He, not, there's nothing about him that happens. I mean, and there's some really interesting, smart stuff that I think goes on at the end of Revenge of the Nerds. Like what you have happened to the Alpha Betas at the end when they've done this kind of like lame old school production where they like dress in drag. Yeah. Is then you have the scene where the coach yells at them for for being emasculated, and they're doing it in this lipstick, they're doing it in hair, and it's kind of over the top, but at the same time. What's going on in that scene is this is a movie saying, like, here's what we thought manhood was. And then we can learn that manhood can be something else. Manhood can be forcibly taking a woman and fucking her into liking you. One of the that's characters literally does what that. The, that's your only That argument. is the main ending of the movie. That, that is, is not the main ending of the movie. That's not even the guy who winds up leading Greek Council. He gives Greek Council to That Gilbert. is like the profound – the two – the biggest the biggest victories they have are putting a naked lady on a pie plate and then also making one of the hot girls like them because he says all nerds fuck this good. Okay. Well, the way that Animal House treats women is, is a, that women are only there to be the way of getting back at people. Animal House gets who back are they at – Back at with okay, the- all right. Animal House gets back at Marmalade by sleeping with his girlfriend. Animal House gets back at um, the dean by sleeping with his wife. And Animal House almost gets back at the mayor by maybe, maybe not sleeping with his daughter. They're, the women there are only used as tools for revenge. He doesn't, he does not, that is not that why is, Pinto's sleeping with her. In fact, the whole point of her being the daughter of the mayor is to make them further in trouble. I'm not saying that's why Pinto's sleeping with her, but I'm saying in the logic of the movie, well, that's one of the things. We're like, ha ha, he's going to get your daughter. No, that's, that's the not, overall tone No, it's like, movie. oh my God, they're going oh, yeah, they're, they're they're, to, they're, they're, prov- they're provoking these guys even more. They're digging their own grave even more. The Delta House are idiots. And they continuing. don't, no, the mayor doesn't even know about it. So but, no. <sighs> This is crazy. It, it, it's the film's every revenge, single woman not in their... every single woman in Animal House initiates sexual contact. Every single woman in Animal House initiates sexual contact, which you cannot say is the same in a movie where a woman initiates sexual contact without giving consent. Animal House confronts the topic of consent in a situation where a woman is too passed out to give consent and comes out on the right side. Uh, you know, I mean, there's just not even a question to me. That's the true, female characters in Animal House get to be to funny. Be slept with as a way of they get to be funny. They None of them don't get to be funny. Are you crazy? The dean's wife is hilarious. And also, so is the girl. The thirteen-year-old girl is very funny, and she has some really funny stuff. When she's drinking the, when she's drinking, she's chugging the punch while chewing her gum. It's such an amazing little funny moment. That's more characterization than Judy has in the entire movie of Revenge of the Nerds. That's not true at all. You meet like Judy is such a positive character. You meet her like in the computer lab, and she's frustrated, and she's like got this sweetness to him. And she and Gilbert have some really adorable moments in this. Like I like the one how they trade each other's glasses. Like that's a romance in this that is sweeter than anything you see in Animal House. Animal House not a sweet movie, so that's all right. Well, Revenge of the Nerds is a sweet movie. It's not a sweet and movie. It's a, it's a sweet movie predicated on sexual assault. Let's take a quick break. 
Um, we will distribute people's naked pictures during the, this break because we think that that is a sweet way to uh, take over the well, world. if it's your picture, it's punishment. We'll be right back. All right, so we are back. Uh, I have become worked up. I have worked up a sweat uh, in this argument. I am furious. There are times where I will sit across this table from you, and I will be gobsmacked at the shit that you say, uh, that you are approaching it as is. It is as if, you know, so they had this idea that there's a, there's a lot of dimensions to the universe, and we just perceive three of them and experience a fourth time. It is as if you are coming in from the ninth dimension, and you are seeing things that no one else is able to see that don't exist in this reality. And Revenge of the Nerds, you are seeing the ninth dimension of it that does not exist here. And perhaps in, in Dimension 9, it is a sweet movie. But in, in this dimension, it is an ugly, not very funny, really broad uh, movie that in the end is about – that does not understand that the guys that it's about are really mean. And they are – just because somebody else is mean to them, it, it would be okay if the movie didn't make them out to be – the sweethearts. If again, like Animal House, where it was a destructive contest between two destructive forces about anarchy, that's different. This is a movie where I'm supposed to feel at the end of the movie that I'm supposed to go, "Oh well, these." I'm glad these guys won. I'm not glad these guys they won. They are not mean. They get revenge on the guys by putting in their jock straps once because the guys ruined their party and they had to do that to get the lambdas to accept them. They get revenge on the girls for the same reason because they dist- they sabotage their party. And because they tortured them. And then from then on, they play fair and they play by the rules of the fret. They play by the rules of the Olympic court. They're not being mean. They do, they do the competition. No, they get a second vict- uh, thing on those girls because they put the thing. And then, the by the way, thing. you talk about the, in, in Animal House, women only exist to be slept with as revenge. Uh, what is that fucking – what's his name? The, the lead guy from Alpha Beta that – Oh, Ted McGinley? Ted McGinley, the, the most bland actor who has ever worked. The blandest fucking guy. What does he say? That's my pie. I mean, the movie actually specifies, and it uses a word that the movie has specifically tied in just to pussy. So he's saying, that's my pussy. So the movie is literally reducing women to just that. To just that. Except she also does get to make a choice. She does make a choice. What is the choice that she makes? What is the choice that she makes? However horrible it is that she makes that choice. And by the way, it is kind of weird that in this movie – both Animal House and Revenge of the Nerds think that the blonde, popular frat guy is really lousy in bed. It's weird that that's like, but that's just the way we attack both of them. Like, it's oh, because these are guys who are the uh, epitome of masculinity, so they're being emasculated in this way. I mean, that's what it's about. They're they're taking away their, you know, the, in their public version of, of masculinity is they're popular, they're blonde, they're handsome, and then the both movies offer comfort in the idea that behind the scenes, these guys are both emasculated and can't get it up. Uh, but I just think I just think it's here's the thing is that it's because it's a revenge movie. It is an escalating series of nastiness. Uh, it is not an escalating. There's series literally of nothing it in the ends movie with them singing "We Are the Champions" and being sad that their house got destroyed. It is not escalating. It, it, they are getting they everything they do is a reaction for something that the, that the alphas have done. The alphas have started a war. Yes, and you know what? The Afghanistan war was a reaction to 9-11. That doesn't mean that the Afghanistan war was a good thing or that it should You're have really gone on for 10 years. I am going to compare Revenge of the Nerds actually to right, Iraq. Cool. To cool. Iraq because Iraq is All a right. meaningless pit of despair. So this is how unhinged you are. That's cool. That, this is how unhinged you are. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm comparing I mean, Revenge I will admit the that there is a scene. When they get yelled at in their um, underwear by the alphabetas, it kind of looks like they're presaging Abu Ghraib. <laughs> This movie is like torture. Uh, I can't believe that you think that Poindexter is the ripoff of Bluto. When I mean, clearly in every way, physical and otherwise, it is Booger. I'm not saying ripoff. I'm saying he's the physical comedian. But Booger's the ripoff. There's now you can't even. No, 
Al- Ogre's the ripoff, and Ogre's on the wrong side. Ogre's not the ripoff. It's Booger. Booger. It's not Booger. By the way, Curtis Booger. Armstrong does a better version of this character in um, – oh, shit. What's the one – oh, my brain is totally turned off. Um, oh, surprise. Uh, oh, my God. What is the name – this is going to be the worst part of the podcast. Um, I don't know, but I will say that last night I tweeted that I thought Booger was actually attractive for the first time in my life. I don't yeah. know how that happened. And Curtis Armstrong tweeted back, oh, and I got really Lord. embarrassed. I didn't. I did not actually CC him in that. He just tweeted back, and he wrote. He just searches Booger. Uh, I don't know how it came to his attention. He just said, "I stole my look from George Harrison and help." As usual, we all end up owing the Beatles. <laughs> Uh, better off dead. He plays the same character, but better and better off dead. Uh, and he's really also great in One Crazy Summer. I think he I, does the Savage Steve Holland movies. He uses him properly. Uh, better off dead. He has the best line in Better Off Dead when they go uh, skiing, and he says, "Do you know the street value of this mountain?" Because snow being a cocaine. Anyway, um, uh, Riddler is shit, uh, and I, I am shocked. Shocked. I'm actually not shocked. I think you have terrible taste in comedy. I'm not shocked that you would defend it. <laughs> <laughs> Revenge of the Nerds is not shit. You cannot think it's as good as Animal House, but it is not shit. No, I Just actually by even saying I that, had you're like making a, a crazy. Point. I had like a legit hard time watching it last night. Like it was like it was irritating. I really I think it's badly written. Um, I think I really do think that all the comedy is broad, like in a way that appeals to like fourteen year olds. Like specifically, um, that it's very like in your face. Like this is a, this is a joke now. This is a funny thing. Um, it, it, it just doesn't work. That's um, not true. And if you're dissing that, that's a lot of the humor style of Animal House. I don't think this I think Animal House has his face. This is Bluto doing really. It dumb has stuff. that stuff. It like, has it has that stuff, but it also has subtle stuff, and it has silly stuff, and it has it has absurd stuff, and it has and character that's all based here. stuff. And this is super character based. What I like about Revenge of the Nerds is the idea that they are smarter than everybody is what they do, and they use it all throughout. Like it's not just oh they're nerds because they wear pocket protectors. They're nerds because they invent computers, and then they use those computers to figure out places to live. They're nerds because they know how to do stuff, and they're nerds because they see the next evolution of things. They know how to use lights. They know how to use smoke. They get fireworks. They use, use smoke. <laughs> I'm just saying they use their brains. Like this is a Clan movie of about the cave bear nerd edition. Ner- well, actually, Booger was in Clan of the Cave Bear. Um, but they use their brains, and I love that about this film. Like oh. you see what they're good at come out in everything they do, even lo- if it's just Booger burping. I like that you are actually making the argument. This is a smart movie. That's maybe the best part of it's your a movie argument. about smart people. It is a smart movie. It's a it's an idiotic movie about. People are supposed to be smart. No, it's I'll, basically I'll like that. a weird. I mean, all right, I'll just say it. I think this movie has a little bit of the conflict between Israel and Palestine in it because you have a group that's kicked out, and right after they're kicked out of their dorm, you even have the little kid, you even have um, Wormser, who's like 12 years old, made this say, It's like we're refugees in a war. So I guess it's up to you guys. Is this movie more like the Afghanistan conflict or the Palestinian-Israeli conflict? Which, one, which way are you guys at home going to vote on this one? <laughs> this is the stupidest episode of this fucking show yet. Okay. So uh, we have made our points. I really – so my, well, let's, just do, let's just do uninterrupted wrap-up and like real fast ones, okay? Okay. Okay. So my – you want to go first or I go first? No, you go first. You want me? Okay. Okay. 
I think that first of all, there's no such movie as Revenge of the Nerds without Animal House. That's that's the thing. Historically alone, Animal House makes it in. It, like it's like not even a question. It is a really important uh, movie in the history of slob versus snob, gross out comedy. Um, it is a really important movie in terms of some character careers. It's a movie that defines John Belushi and the public perception. Um, I think all these things make it going. But I think it's also a really funny movie. I think it's a really great satirical, angry movie that is about destroying the system. That is full of anarchy. Uh, that I think is like a party, that I think has characters that are really great to hang out with who are a good time, uh, a movie that I can watch anytime from beginning to end, uh, and it's also got a terrific soundtrack of beautiful early 60s hits. Uh, so for me, Animal House is the obvious choice. Okay, it's cool that you're trying to use that same argument that won you King Kong versus Jurassic Park, but here's the deal. We're not talking about two movies that are separated by ages. I like that this is a movie about the triumph of the smart. It's a movie about the triumph of anything. They actually upend the status quo. They actually do things. The Deltas just destroy and run. I think it is as funny, if if not funnier. I actually laugh more at Revenge of the Nerds than I do at Animal House, and I think if you watch them again, you might feel the same way. I want people to watch this with their fresh memories if you can find a copy of Revenge of the Nerds. I just want to stick up for Revenge of the Nerds and get in the canon because to me it's like incomprehensible that you can't even find it anymore. Um, and yeah, I just am firmly for this. It gave us John Goodman, and it's a fantastic film. <laughs> Without Revenge of the Nerds, there'd be no John Goodman. Uh, clearly. Who knows? Uh, uh, okay. I mean, those are the arguments. Uh, I mean, you guys. Belushi was already on Saturday Night Live, so you can't say I, that argument about Animal House. I, that is that is true. I would say that uh, John Landis, it definitely gave us John Landis. Uh, Animal House is the movie that made John Landis. Um, John Landis is uh, no, John one, Landis was already made by Kentucky Fried Movie. No, Kentucky Fried Movie was a movie that uh, was a underground hit, but Animal House was a huge hit that made John Landis John Landis. Maybe he wouldn't have gotten Animal House if not for Kentucky Fried Movie, which is actually true. He got Animal House because of it's one hundred percent. Yeah, but there's always a little movie or a little thing that gets these guys these things. But there's a movie that makes these guys. Animal House made John Landis, and I think that John Landis is Has done one, great work. One with of those the gifts. one of the great filmmakers Amazing. of the of the early eighties. One hundred percent. Um, and I will stand up for him no matter what. Uh, but now it is up to you guys at home to weigh in. So if you can go to uh, wolfpop.com and find the forums. And then the second forum down is going to be the canon. There will be an Animal House versus Revenge of the Nerds uh, a, a, a thread for you. Um, it, the thread was late last week. I'm sorry I had a hard time logging into the um, into the thing through my phone. Uh, and I was laying in bed and I was too lazy to get up and go to my computer. But it's like it goes up at midnight. So like I'm like already in bed. You know what I mean? Anyway. Anyway, maybe I'll put it up before I go to bed. But people might vote before they listen to the episode and hear my charming and really well-argued points. Um, <laughs> you're, so, you're, wait, you mean your argued single point that you just tried to repeat over and over again? I just – I feel like there's a lot of points. I just feel like it's just funny. I just think it's a funny fucking movie. I think there's a reason why people still quote it. Um, what are the lines from Revenge of the Nerds? Everybody quotes. You know my favorite line actually? It's kind of sweet and it's a Gilbert line. He says, only humans can be inhuman. I mean, that's not, that's not like, I don't feel like people, like, I don't feel like that's like a good joke. I'm not saying it's a joke. I'm saying it's a very sweet line. So I really the, like that line. Okay, the best part of that movie is not funny. All right, so it's up to you guys now. So go on ahead and vote. Uh, let us know. Uh, also, please review, rate, share this show with your friends. Uh, we are going to take a, a small break in episodes. Uh, I have to go to Israel. 
and I'm going to be away for a little while. So, And you're refusing to take any of my travel advice, even though I was there last summer. Yeah, but you're the person that travels around the globe to go look at animals dying in zoos. Like, I just feel like my I, travel... I pay my respects. My travel plans are probably real different from yours. Um, and I've spoken to people who have gone to this festival and who have given me good advice. But I will be in Israel, so we're going to uh, miss some episodes. Uh, but hopefully we're back in a week or two. Uh, so just subscribe now. If you're not subscribed, subscribe now. So when the new episode comes, it'll be automatically delivered to you. Um, my name is Devin Faraci. I run a website called birthmoviesdeath.com. And you can find me every single day on twitter.com at devincf. And my name is Amy Nicholson. You can find me at the LA Weekly. You can find me at the Village Voice if you live on the East Coast. You can find me at the Houston Press if you live in Houston or a bunch of other cities. Uh, but check me out the LA Weekly because they actually pay for my salary. And you can find me on Twitter at the Amy Nicholson. All right, that's it. Goodbye, everybody. Wolf Pop is part of Midroll Media, executive produced by Adam Sachs, Matt Gorley, and Paul Shear. Hey, Queeros, it's me, Cami Esposito, and I'm here to tell you about my podcast, Query. You can sit in on hour-long conversations between me, Cameron Esposito, and some of the brightest luminaries in the LGBTQ family. Query explores individual stories of identity, personality, and the shifting cultural matrix around gender, sexuality, and civil rights. Plus, it is fun. We have had some incredible guests. Uh, Emmy winner Lena Waithe? Yes, definitely. Congressman Mark Takano? You bet. L Word creator Eileen Shaken? Yes. President and CEO of Glad Sarah Kate Ellis? We definitely have. We've got celebs, people like Trixie Mattel, Evan Rachel Wood, Tegan and Sarah, the band and the people separately on two different episodes. We also have activists and change makers in our community. I think it's a one of a kind show full of chats you have never heard before. It's identity, it's community, it's query. You can find query every Monday on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.